Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and I am your host. On this week's episode, I was joined by Allie Libby, who is a school counselor at Merrill High School, and also Linda Murray, who's a youth apprenticeship advisor also at Merrill High School. And we were able to sit down and talk about the perception of the industry within the school systems and specifically with school counselors. And I think there's a lot of people that have talked about maybe not having the greatest perception in schools and and maybe the fact that some of these schools push students into a four-year path rather than something that we would like, which is a a lot of uh, getting people into the trade itself. So really good, honest conversation with the two of them. They brought a lot of insight, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised in how they're approaching their relationships with industry and really how they view industry as a whole. It was a really, really good conversation. Now, this week's conversation and podcast was brought to us by our friends at RepairPal. For those of you not familiar with RepairPal, RepairPal connects consumers with certified trustworthy repair shops. RepairPal's network of over 2,700 shops nationwide undergo a rigorous certification process to ensure they offer a high quality, at least 12-12 warranty or better, have a high customer satisfaction rating, and guaranteed fair prices. A really good partner of ours over there at RepairPal, a lot of really good people, and uh, I'd encourage you to go check out their website. Now I'll uh, hand off the podcast to uh, Allie and Linda to talk to you about really that that connection with industry from an education standpoint. Lots of good information. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Take care. All right. On this week's episode, kind of a, a different type of podcast than we would typically do in that we have some perspective from educators and from from the high school side, which I think is so important. One thing that I think our industry has to get around is some of the perception of young people and maybe young people's parents. And the two people joining me today are experts at that. So welcome to the show, Allie Libby and Linda Murray. How are, you, how are the two of you doing today? We are good. Thank you. Good. Good, good. So uh, for those of you that are listening, this won't affect you, but those of you watching, Linda unfortunately doesn't have access to a camera or a video uh, feed, so she will just be audio only, not the end of the world. I think we can still get our our topics across great. But Allie, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what your position is. What is it that you do with the school? Yeah, I'm a high school counselor in Merrill, Wisconsin. So up just a little bit north of Wausau, Wisconsin and central Wisconsin. I've been here. I've been a counselor for eight years and been at Merrill High School for six. Very cool. And so always been on the education side, out of college, go right into that. Yep. I took a year off and did actually AmeriCorps and deciding what I wanted to do between undergrad and grad school and then went to grad school and have been a middle school counselor and then a high school counselor since. How long did you know that you wanted to do that? Actually, I was just talking to someone about this this weekend. I feel like it's really interesting when you look at people's careers and professions, how much there's a lot of similarities in like families of, you know, what you are used to. So I was with some of my family this weekend and my mom is one of six kids and five out of six are all in education. And so I woke up or I grew up like, you know, going to my mom's school after school in the summers, everything. And that's just kind of like the world that I knew. And I always wanted to be in the helping field and help 
helping others. And I decided school counseling over something like maybe social work or therapy, because I really like how school counselors can see a, a variety of students. And so you can work with students who are really high achieving and who have big dreams. And But you can also work with students who are still in the process of figuring out what is it that they want to do with their lives and maybe need a little bit more support. So there's a really wide range of kids that you're able to work with and a wide range of you know activities and involvement. And so I've always known that I wanted to do something in the helping field and found that school counseling is just a really good fit for what I'm interested in. Well, and it takes a good heart to be able to do that stuff. I, I don't think what you do is for everybody. I honestly would be awful at it. So I, I give you a lot of kudos for what you do on a day in and day out basis because it is challenging and it, it, it has unique challenges per kid, right? Like it's not just like you you go in and there's this one problem and you're solving the one problem. It's every single person has their own unique difficulties or struggles or potential, you know, in general. I, I you know, I think it's probably a pretty cool part of the job is just seeing all those different backgrounds and the different ways that you can help them. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And we're getting to graduation is next week. And so it's really cool seeing kids that I saw as freshmen and that they're growing into seniors and how much some of them have changed throughout the process and have grown into just totally different kids that I remember when they were freshmen. That's a really, really cool part to be a a part of their lives. And sometimes we see and know more about their kids than their parents do just because we're with them eight hours a day and then they go to work or do other things. And so it's a really cool opportunity. I feel like it's a privilege to be involved in a kid's life in that way. Very cool. And and Linda, how about you? You've got kind of a unique role. Yes. Yeah, so I am the Youth Apprenticeship Coordinator here at Merrill High School. And I am a 30-year small business owner here in Merrill. All right. Worked with local businesses, regional businesses, and then COVID happened. And a lot of my businesses did not make it through the COVID crisis. So I was looking for another challenge and this position came up, the YA coordinator. So I get to work with local businesses and I get to work with students. So it's a win-win for me. It's, it's a great job. It's, you know, connecting those students with businesses. They get, you know, a credit a semester. A lot of the kids would work anyway, but they get this real world experience that, you know, the employers are teaching them. So it's a, it's a great program. And it's a, um, not every state has this um, youth apprenticeship program. And we're super fortunate here in um, Wisconsin to have it. We have this year, we have 94 kids just in Merrill alone in the program. We have um, 56 unique employers in the program. So it's, it's, it's great. It's off. It's awesome. I can't say enough about it. There's 11 different pathways that they can take everything everywhere from egg to construction to it and, you know, TDL, the transportation distribution and logistics. So it's, it runs the gamut. There's marketing, manufacturing, and there's just so many different skills that students can learn. Yeah. It's just, it's a great program. It is a great program. And as being somebody that grew up in Wisconsin as well, I actually went through the youth apprenticeship program when I was going through high school and it had a a great impact on my life and and really how my career played out. And I'm a huge advocate of youth apprenticeship in general. 
And for our industry, it is so important for us to get involved with young people. And I think there's statistics behind it where if the the faster a student or a younger person gets involved in a shop, the more likely they're going to stick around for a career. And, you know, I think I've seen it over and over and over throughout my career where you do get a young person involved and interested and they tend to stick a lot more. So major kudos to you in doing that. Out of curiosity, what businesses did you have when you were on the on the industry side? You know, I it ranged. I had retail business. I had car dealerships. I, I did marketing and advertising. Right. So, yeah, I it kind of ran the gamut. Which you saw the shortage of talent probably all across the board, right? Uh, it's yes. struggling to, to find people regardless of the business. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Well, it's interesting. And I think this conversation today is one that I've been looking forward to for quite a while. And the reason for it is I think there's a general perception from our industry that we're almost fighting against schools and specifically high schools in terms of uh, trying to get people to understand what we do and that it's not maybe the old grease monkey mentality or that, you know, in maybe 30 years ago, it wasn't looked at the same way that it is now. I'm curious, and Allie, I'll start with you. Is that something that you've seen over the the course of your career, or is that something that maybe has started to shift a little bit in the way that schools look at the trades in general? Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated in 2007, which isn't, it feels like a long time ago, but it really isn't that long ago. And I remember if you didn't go to a four-year school, you were a loser. Like that was really was the perception was like, and it was so silly. And I look back and I'm like, dang, why didn't I go to school to be a dental hygienist or something, you know, something that you can work in the trades and you can make, you know, considerable amount of money and go to school for two years or, but I feel like there was such externalized pressure that if you don't go to a four-year school and get a bachelor's degree, you're never going to be successful in your life. And that's such a misperception. And I feel like it has vastly changed, like having conversations with kids, they're making so such better decisions, whether it is that they still want to pursue a four-year school, but they're going to start their career or start their um, post-secondary at like a two-year school that they can eventually transfer. Like, for example, I have some kids that were accepted to UW-Madison. Awesome. That's it's a very competitive school to get into. And they decided, no, I think I'm going to start at the UW-Stevens Point at Wassa campus to get their two years first because they know that they can save a ton of money going that way. You know, so kids are really starting to think through some of those decisions and thinking about the financial consequences that there could be. I'm not saying that it's not great to go to UW-Madison. I'm not sure. saying that by any means, but just taking a perspective of like, really what's the best route for me and what's the best choice. And I think also that can be a really hard transition for kids coming from a school of the biggest class that you have is 30 kids to going to a school where you could have one of your classes of 250 kids. Maybe that's what you want in the end, but is that the route that you want to go directly through high school? And I think, I mean, just talking about thinking about our school in general, just for CTE, uh, we have four teachers, full-time teachers just in CTE, or I'm sorry, um, the tech ed department. We have like agriculture business, but just in the tech tech ed department, we have four teachers. That's a a ton for a school of 800 kids um, that we have. And we could probably have another 
full-time teacher of the amount of um, requests that we have. So kids are definitely taking advantage of technical education courses and being more willing to um, try those classes. And then also we work a lot more with the technical schools. So actually auto program, they're starting up a collaborative because what's difficult specifically for working in like consumer auto or taking classes, small engine classes is the startup cost for high schools to be able to get the equipment and get their programs up and running is huge. We just don't have the funding. And so working with the technical schools that have those, that then you can have the kids who are really interested in it, go and take those classes on their campus. That's a really good way to also utilize their resources and still be able to have uh, students benefit and take the classes that they want before they graduate from high school. Well, I think you hit on a key point there, and this is something we work with in our platform a lot, which is trying to get industry support for the high schools in general, because there are a lack of resources in a lot of, in almost every school, right? I mean, if we're being honest, in a lot of times in industry, we get frustrated because we're like, oh man, the automotive or the ag power program or the collision programs are the first things to get cut, but you hit it squarely on the head as to why that is. It's a lot of times the most capital intensive program that you'll have in a school. And it's, if you don't have interest in the program, which it doesn't sound like you guys have that problem. It sounds like you guys have a a lot of interest in your CTE programs, but it's the one that's going to be most open to criticism because it's the most expensive. And a lot of times when budget cuts inevitably happen, that's an easy one to put on the chopping block because it's it's expensive to run, right? Yep. Yep. And we have, that's kind of what we're going through right now. And it's hard to, when we have social studies where there's not super cost heavy and kids have to take those classes. And then you have CTE um, classes that are, I think it's difficult, but they, we also see a huge need for it. And so there's a lot of collaboration that happens with, like I said, ours is North Central Technical College of kids taking classes there or getting experience through the youth apprenticeship program if we're not able to do it because there's so many through youth apprenticeship, there's so many certificates that they can gain. And there's even classes that kids have taken like maybe two years ago that was in a place in a welding. They were doing welding at Agra, which is local business, and they were able to earn college credit through their job there. So that's a pretty cool option for them too, if we're not able to have the classes here. So Linda, when when you look at the students and and trying to set up the youth apprenticeship side of this, right? How uh, give me a feeling for interest from industry. I know in in our business there are times where there's apprehension in hiring a kid that's under 18 years old for whatever reason. A lot of times we use the excuse that it's insurance, but we've done a lot of research on that and that's not necessarily the case. What is the interest from from industry? And maybe I'll be a little selfish here and specific to maybe the automotive, diesel, ag equipment types of industries. So I all what I see are employers dying for employees. I get emails and calls and, you know, I have this position to fill. I need this. I mean, it, it's a weekly, on a weekly basis. There are so many people that need employees right now. And in Merrill, in general, they really, our employers really appreciate the YA program because they have a huge, they, they continue on with them usually after they graduate. They, they get such good experience there that they kind of figure out what they like to do. 
And they're trying to, we're trying to develop the, the registered apprentice more. There's a couple manufacturers here in town where you would take the student, do their two-year two YA program, and then they flip over, you know, working at the same employer and the employer will um, pay for them to go to a school to develop their trade more. The automotive industry also does that. We have a local car dealership here who is willing to pay for students to go to, to our local technical college to get more training if they stay with them. You know, so employers are really interested in that. I, I've, I haven't seen an issue that they're worried about hiring people. It's the opposite. Do you see any problem with maybe them not being involved with the school other than asking for stuff or asking for students? And that's one one thing that I've seen a lot, whether it's in an advisory committee meeting or, you know, wherever it might be where a a school is desperate to get help, right? Like they, they want support for the program, whether that's a donation or a scholarship or maybe something as easy as doing a shop tour or something like that. Are, are from an industry perspective, are they involved other than just asking for stuff? Like asking for like, like students for employees? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So more so, and I should clarify the question maybe a little bit. Uh, it, are they only asking for stuff, but maybe not or asking for students and asking for, you know, that human resources piece where they're actually bringing people in? Or are they are they also working in in step with the school to be able to support the program, whether it's the youth apprenticeship side or the actual classroom to be able to, you know, whether it is a donation of maybe an engine or something like that, where are, are there opportunities there where maybe shops aren't taking advantage of, where they could get more involved and build a better relationship with either the youth apprenticeship side or the school side? Sure. So we have we have a fab lab here at the high school. And when it first was developed, how long ago was that, Allie? Do you know? It would have been pre-COVID, so maybe 2019, either 2018 or 2019. I can't remember for sure. Okay. When I, when I walk in the fab lab, there's big banners up there for lots of different manufacturers that have donated and helped out to develop the fab lab. Cause kind of how Allie was saying, you can't, it's, it's just so expensive, but yeah, we have, we have a, a lot of local support for that kind of thing. Yep. That's great. And I think that's yep. something that having a youth apprenticeship coordinator can be such an impactful position with, right, is being able to get industry engaged. And I know at our local school, that's something they really struggle with because they, you know, probably similar size school, but doesn't have somebody dedicated to taking care of youth apprenticeships. And what's happened is that it ends up kind of getting put to the side, right, or not being engaging enough. And it's had an impact because they, I think what they do is, it's one third of one person's job at the school to, to manage youth apprenticeships. And I've had conversations with the school and they're like, that's just, it's impossible to keep up with. Like there's so many things that we need to drive and we, we need that full-time person. So kudos to your school district for, for having the wherewithal and, and the priority, I guess, being able to prioritize that you need that youth apprenticeship coordinator, because I do think it's a really vital position to get industry more involved with the school in general. Yeah, I would say that um, 
just thinking about if it's something that's like placed on a school counselor's plate or something else. It's just, I think industries are willing and our, I would say our community is extremely willing. Like you call anywhere and you ask and people are willing to help in any way because they see what the end goal is and that we work together. Like, I really don't feel like we have any problems with that. I would feel comfortable reaching out to pretty much any business and they're really willing to help. It's the management of that, of being able to connect those pieces. It's a huge undertaking. And if it's placed on someone's plate that already has a ton of other stuff. Like I couldn't imagine if we didn't have Linda, it would be one of the many things. And so it's just hard to prioritize your time to be able to give it the attention it really needs. But for example, maybe was it two weeks ago? I think it was that we had a job fair and it, I would say it was maybe a month and a half Linda before that people, businesses were contacted, right? Yep. Yep. Yep about a month and a half ahead of time. And they said, from my understanding, the our business teacher and counselor and Linda reached out and said, hey, we're going to have this uh, a job fair at school who would be willing. And you had almost 40 employers yes. come to the school and the whole, a whole spectrum of, you know, fast food jobs, welding. Linda was there, HR positions. We had tons and tons of different, the Merrill Police Department was there. I mean, we had a huge gamut of both the jobs that kids could apply for, for right now, like here's a job that I want right now or over the summer, but also here's what I'm looking at for a career. So you send out the call and people are super willing, but it's the ability for someone to be able to manage that. And if it's placed on an educator's plate that just doesn't have when they're trying to balance everything else, it's really, really difficult. So when you have someone directly in the school, like Linda, it can really make a huge difference to be able difference to be able to make those connections. And the reason that we're able to do that is because we have such a large, like Linda mentioned, I think she said 94 or 96, I can't remember, but youth apprenticeships and that that funding is um, tied to that. And so we're super lucky uh, that we have that and are able to have her here to help manage that. Yeah, it's kind of the chicken and the egg. It's it's DWD grant based. So of course, the more students you have, the more grant money. So the more, you know, you can put into resources like me to help, you know, run the program. So, and I stepped into the program with it just rocking already. It like, you know, it's, and there, there's so many other things to develop with it, but it is such a strong program. I walked into just a fabulous program here at the high school. That helps when you've got a, a pretty great foundation to it to start with. Do you, is there any advice you would have for, and this can go to either one of you, but advice to businesses that want to get more involved or want to be more of a presence in a school? Loaded question. I know that one's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I would say just when you have the opportunity to like when, you know, things are out there, like a career fair, just getting your name known, volunteering for that kind of stuff. And, you know, when people make the call, hey, can you help with this? Of just being willing to help in any way, I think is then you just build the relationship and it's someone that you can kind of, you know, call on and ask for help. And then then we know in, in our mind, like, oh yeah, you were interested in being an electrician. Here's these places that I know are, you know, interested in, um, always looking for someone. That's kind of what I would say is just mm-hmm. being willing to be, be flexible. Involved. And when people reach out and ask for help, being willing to help when you can. That's great advice. I Linda, agree. Did you have anything to add? Yeah. I, you, I think you hit it right on, Allie. <laughs> what about, and Linda, this is probably more geared toward you, but 
do you see businesses that are good at youth apprenticeship and businesses that are bad at youth apprenticeship? Some are more engaging. Some will call me, you know, regularly and let me know how their apprentice is doing, you know, and others are are hands off. We do have four times a year, we have an evaluation that goes to each of the businesses so we, you know, make sure that the, you know, kids are doing what they need to be doing. And so half of their grade is based on those evaluations from their employers. So they're, they're trying to do a good job. You know, they're at, at the end of the year, there's these checklists. They're called checklists that the employer has to, well, we give it to them at the beginning of the year so that the employer knows what sort of skills they need to teach their, their youth apprentice. And so right now what I'm doing at this time of year is gathering all those checklists from all the employers. And then, you know, it's, it's good information for the DWD to, you know, did they learn X, Y, and Z kind of thing. Right now the DWD is, is revising all these checklists. They were pretty basic, vague maybe, but they're revising them all with the help of businesses in Wisconsin, you know, for example, they call up, you know, or they sent out surveys to our local agribusness who's, you know, do does welding, you know, what do you want to see in you? What kind of skills do you want to teach the, the apprentice so that they're, you know, they would stay with you and they're useful to you in the future. And so those checklists were developed with the businesses around the state, which which I think is helpful. So yeah, there's some that there's some that are very much more involved and in, in others not so much, but that's kind of the you know, when you have that many kids, that's kind of how that works. So when when you're getting feedback from businesses, do you is there any level of redundancy, like kind of the same feedback year in, year out? Like, hey, yeah, we want somebody that has X skill or somebody that just, we want somebody that shows up on time, you know, that kind of thing. Or is there a variety of different feedback that you get on what, they, what they're looking for? And has that changed over the years? It's, it's very, it's, there's a ton of variety, but, you know, in those evaluations that you said it, the number one skill set that the the employers want the student to learn or be good at is showing up on time. It is amazing how (laughs) that is a thing, you know, or call when you can't come into work if you're sick or, you know. And don't have um, your mom call you in. Yes. Oh my goodness. You do it. I advocate for yourself. I, if that's one thing with young people that I wish we could get across, I actually had an employee at one point in a prior company that uh, was struggling at work and we had scheduled a, it wasn't even a disciplinary conversation. It was more just a check-in like, Hey, how are things going? And I was very shocked when his mother walked in the door with him, you know, he's 21 years old Oh and I, like when, when she walked in, I was like, and I think it was more her driving that than him, but it put me in a really awkward position, right? Because as the employer, I'm sitting there and, you know, get at my off in my office, getting ready for this just normal meeting and in walks the mother and, and in the conversation, the mother was the one talking. I, I wasn't even talking to him. You know, it was like talking to, to, to her 
And it just blew my mind uh, like that that would ever happen. Yep. It does such a disservice for those kids. My husband is works. He's a manager in uh, grocery stores and he tells me some stories and I'm like, oh my goodness, like you cannot yet. Yeah, don't have your mom call you in, call yourself in if you're sick. Don't be on your cell phone the whole time, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just and that's like the soft skills that they talk about are just like the the skills that apply to any job are so important. Being personable, not being cranky if you're at your job, just things that are like feel like fairly basic things that I think are transferable to any job and are the core of whatever job you're at. You just have to be able to do that. But where do you learn that? I hope and I hope that um, people will continue to foster that sense of independence of people while they're graduating from high school and letting kids figure it out because you, you might have a conversation where you end up getting fired from a job, but you're going to learn a lot from it. You're going to learn how to, you're not going to do that again. And having those tough conversations and dealing with it, if you don't show up to work, dealing with the consequences and letting your kids sometimes feel those consequences. You can't save them from it every time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found that. So a lot of the kids who are in the YA program, they're not, they don't love school. You know, they love working. They, they love it. And those are the kids that contact me and, you know, keep in touch with me. And it seems like the kids on the other spectrum have mom call or, you know, it's, it's, that's just kind of what I've been seeing, but yeah, that's kind of sounds like it's an issue all over. <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic because I don't, you know, I, I, you don't want to tell the parents how to parent their kid, but at the same time, if they're taking all the blows for the kid and they're not, you know, they're making up excuses and they're not really, you know, they're not setting them up for, for future success. And Allie, similar to what you said, I mean, it just, doesn't matter what career you go into. It doesn't matter where you go in your professional life. If you can't speak for yourself, that's going to put you in a weird spot for a long time. And you just, I mean, from a basic life skill, you, you're like, my goodness, you, you have to learn how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you screw up, you screwed up and you learn from it and we move on. Don't, pro- don't protect kids from screwing up. It's, it's okay to screw up and learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like I've all. This is how I know that I've taken the the step into old man territory now. Is like a, a, a very much get off you know get off my lawn. But I think it's really true, and I think it is really impactful stuff. Now, one thing I I did want to circle back to and talk about was you had mentioned the DWD Department of Workforce Development grants. I believe Linda mentioned that. I want to talk about the financial impact to a school. And at one point, and I, I more so want to clear up this if it is a, mis- a misconception, is at one point I had heard that schools were benefited or they had some financial benefit based on the percentage of kids that would go to a four-year school. Is that, was that ever a thing or is that still a thing? Not that I know of. I've never no. seen any, never seen any okay. money from I, that. I no. wondered about that. And it's one that I've heard kind of secondhanded. And I always wanted to ask that question because I always felt like, you know, we, we always talk about, okay, why was there such a bias to four-year schools for so long? And why has that shifted? And I had 
somebody in education tell me that at one point that there were some financial implications based on the percentage of people that would were sent into a four-year school. So I'm really happy to hear that that isn't yeah, the case. No. The only thing that you maybe has that like could go along with that, but doesn't necessarily have a financial is graduation. You know, the percentage of kids from your high school that graduate can impact your state report card, which is basically a way to a small snippet of a school to be able to like evaluate its effectiveness. And one of those measures is graduation rates, but that would not have any implication that would not be like based on who goes to four-year schools and who doesn't. So nope, I don't think so. That's awesome. That's great. That's great to hear. Have you heard of Runtway School Connect? Runtway School Connect is a free tool that makes it easier for schools to connect with local shops and dealerships and get the resources they need to attract students to technician programs and educate them about the industry. Schools can post requests for donations and resources from shops, and shops can post resources they have available to schools in their area. Shops and schools can visit runtway.com to contact us and learn more. Link is in the show notes. So what is it, how is a school judged, right? So how is it that when I'm looking at your program and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how does Merrill line up against one of the Wausau schools or how does Merrill line up against a school in Minocqua? Or I'm trying to think of towns up in your area. But when when you look at that, how how are you judged? Is it strictly off of graduation rate? Is it a variety of, you know, the depth or, or the the amount of different topics you cover or like I, I'm trying to get an idea of like if I'm if I'm a school administrator, how do I make sure that my school is ranked high? You're talking about in general, not specific to like youth apprenticeship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime that you're going to talk to any educator about that, they're probably going to be like, because it's, it's such a biased skew of, it's an important thing. I'm not saying that it's not important, but there's so many factors that go into it. So a lot of it is based on standardized testing and something that we're shifting towards is rather than basing it just off of that of really, so there's a new structure that our school and other schools are adopting throughout Wisconsin, actually throughout the uh, country, it's called redefining readiness. And so a lot of that used to be the, the numbers and the state report card, what it was based off was very like ACT scores or graduation rates, or, there, you know, it was things that are certainly important, but what is most important is are people ready for life after high school? And so there's the redefining ready report card looks at each individual kid and looks at if they're college bound or career bound. And then within those two different divisions, look at different markers. So their attendance, do they have 90% attendance that matters for both of them? Did they take, maybe if they're college bound, did they take algebra two and get a C or better? Did they get this score on maybe the ACT? Did they take any dual credit or advanced placement classes? Did they have volunteer service on the, um, on the career readiness side, did they participate in a youth apprenticeship class or a youth apprenticeship program? Did they take a dual credit class? Did they take X, Y, and Z classes to be able to be ready? So it's looking at it as a much more holistic picture and it's evaluated for each kid because that's really what matters is that each kid who leaves the high school, they're ready for whatever their next step is. And so that's something that we are just starting this year and looking at our senior class and looking at each individual kid, do you meet these qualifications? Are you ready? And then moving forward, we'll track from when they're freshmen until they're a senior in high school, because it shouldn't be 
did you get this score on the ACT? That's such a biased perspective. And we all know we can name kids that did terrible on the ACT and they're doing awesome. Or <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that, that's not a predictor for your, what your success is. And I think that, you know, higher education, that is something I think that maybe beneficial came out of COVID. There has been things that have been good coming out of COVID, but that's one of them is that the ACT is test optional. A lot of schools have moved to test optional that you can be evaluated for whether or not you would be accepted to a school, not, and you don't have to include your ACT score. You can choose if you want to or not. So if it's something that improves your application, you can choose to submit it. If it's not, then you don't have to, because I think people are starting to see that one test on one day does not predict the rest of your life. And looking at a more holistic perspective of kids to really be able to say, yep, they're ready and they'll be successful after high school is what a lot of schools are moving towards. How cool is that? I mean, just to hear that that education or the education side is starting to think about that and and segmenting them in and almost putting them in different buckets because I do mm-hmm. think, you know, I look at my experience growing up, I had no interest in going to college like at all. I and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was because I was raised in a shop and I just always thought that's what I would do, but the the work side just was always so appealing to me. That's why the youth apprenticeship was so beneficial to me, was being able to to be in the environment that I learned best and that I felt most comfortable in. And I think it's awesome that that started to shift to where, you know, it isn't just based on, I think when I took the ACT, basically I was just doing it just because I had to, right? Mm-hmm. And so just basically checking the box mm-hmm. and no preparation whatsoever, just kind of winging it and, and I didn't take it seriously at all, yeah. right? And yeah. so like, I think there's probably still a lot of young kids that are still in the same position that I was growing up. And I, I just think, to me, that gets me so jacked up because I think that's mm-hmm. so, like we've needed that forever. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And yeah, and so then it, think about you. And then on the other side, the school is reflected, like our how good of a school we are is based on your ACT score. And how are you supposed <laughs> to convince a kid try really hard when they maybe don't want to go to college and that's okay. That's not, or, you know, there are special needs students who has, has certain accommodations that they need and, you know, or there there are students who now it's a test optional, especially like the ACT right now, this year it was like, man, it's really hard to convince a kid to try hard on the ACT when all UW schools are test optional, but that it could end up being reflected on your report card. That can just be really, that's a tough position to be in because as an educator, you just see kids in so much value that they have and that they're more than just one score, you know, what's recorded on a piece of paper in one day. So yeah, I think it's a definitely a really cool shift that schools are starting to take. So apologies to Mineral Point High School for my lack of (laughs) effort on on that side. So do you see this? I mean, as we're getting younger kids and more exposure to the trades. I think one of the things that we've uh, fought, and I don't think it's just our industry, it's a lot of industries, is that that generational gaps. And when they see a young person come in, they just uh, automatically assume they're lazy or that they don't want to learn or you know whatever. Do you see, and Linda, this might be more geared toward you on the youth apprenticeship side, but do you, do you see some of that still kind of being an issue where there are generational gaps and maybe 
the the way we're communicating with young people isn't the way that we should. Yes, definitely. You know, a good example, this is kind of a random example, but so kids don't read their emails. Mm -hmm. So I need to figure out a better way to communicate with these YA kids because they're not reading their emails. They, they communicate, you know, with each other and with other people totally differently than you and I would. So yeah, there, that's, that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a friend that's an educator and she's, she's like a calculus teacher, right? Or like advanced mathematics in high school. And she communicated with her students via Snapchat. Like she, she had set it up so that if they had an assignment due or if they were, you know, they had a project that they're working on that she was actually doing it through social channels to be able to communicate with them. And I, when I, when she was telling me that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I never would have thought school would end up in that, in that regard. But she had the same message where she was talking about in order to communicate with them, I needed to do it differently because they weren't hearing my message. Yes. Yep. yep. And that's the tough thing is like, yes, that's, that's good to find different avenues, but also when you get into a job, you have to, you have to learn how they're going to communicate. And even if it's not what you're used to, you got to figure it out. There's some kids at school that will tell me, oh my gosh, it drives me crazy. If I have any like notifications, you know, how on your like email, it will say three missed messages. I can't have any of them. And then I will have some kids that are like, yeah, we're having a competition to see who can have the largest number of unread emails. I'm like, oh, great. That's good. I'm glad I send out emails that are mass emails to you because clearly you're not reading them. That's, uh, I think, a topic that you could talk about for hours on end, the generational gaps. And and, uh, I've used this as a reference in the past, but I actually sat in a presentation from a keynote uh, speaker at one point, and she had put up a cover of a magazine and it was talking about the next generation and how they don't communicate correctly and all of this stuff, like all the complaints. And she pulled the the, the cover off or the, the she had something that was covering the cover and pulled that off. And it was from the generation prior to the baby boomers talking about the baby boomers. So mm. it's not oh. like generational gaps are new. And that was like Time Magazine from like the, the 70s or something like that. So mm-hmm. it, it was crazy because everything that, that maybe baby boomers are complaining about now with young people, it's they had complaints about them back in the day. And so it's it's very much of a, a cyclical thing. Like it, it just happens over and over again. I, it probably will for the rest of our time on earth. But I, I think that's interesting. One other question I had was you had talked about the difference between the maybe more career focused student versus the college focused student. When do they do they have to make that choice early on? Or how, how, how do you figure out what distinction they're in or what part they fall into? Nope. The data like for that would be tracked on both sides. And then at the end, they could be both career and college ready deemed both. So we have lots of kids who participate, say in youth apprenticeship, and they're still planning on attending a four year. So they would be ready on both sides. So it's not necessarily that um, you have to be one or the other, you fit in one category, but not the other, but it would be tracked on both sides. But it's at the end, do you meet one of those would deem that you'd be college or career ready. So based on those standards. Does it, this is funny to me because I've, I've had this happen on multiple occasions where I've got close friends, probably more around my age than, than recent uh, high school grad 
But they had gone off to a four-year school within the first year, knew it wasn't for them, and then quit school, went back to a trade school. One of my best friends is my neighbor, and he actually started off at a four-year school, knew right away he was going for engineering. He's like, I know this isn't for me. Like, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have even signed up here. But some of his problem was, and I think this is something a lot of, of high school students still, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe still battle this, where... He felt like he had to go to, to college or he had to go to a four-year based on the fact that he had good grades. Like, you know, he was a smart kid, ended up going there. He quit and then went into an electrician pr- apprenticeship, right? So he went to go become an electrician, has since carved out a incredible career for himself, makes a lot of money and done well. But do you still see that where maybe that kid that's got good grades almost feels like they're forced into a four-year? And maybe forced isn't the right word, but almost like the expectation is I go to a four-year because I've got good grades. I would say yes and no. I think that there might be um, some bias towards the, you know, kids who have higher grades that are, you know, you should really be maybe four-year bound. But I would say that just thinking about some of the kids that are graduating from high school this year that have high GPAs that that are either um, going to go straight to work and are uh, planning on doing an apprenticeship or going to like NTC or technical college, because that's what, and I think it's because we have such, um, our community is unique in that we have so many different like manufacturing businesses and our youth apprenticeship program is so strong and that they have gained experience in being able to try some of those unique positions. Like I was talking to a student that we have, I can't remember, Linda might know the business, but he was talking about how he um, works at a company that they, I think, what's the company? I'm sorry, I should know this, Linda, but that makes the windows. Link, Lincoln windows? Or yeah. there's no. several in town. Um, the ones for like skyscrapers. I'm not sure I know what you mean. Sounds yeah, like okay. a cool company. Yeah. Yeah. He does <laughs> like specific windows for like sky, skyscrapers. And so anyways, he, but he does all of like the making the little parts. He makes them on the computer and then produces them on a CNC router. He's a junior in high school and is like making these amazing, oh. which. No, no, I don't, I don't know. I, I was just commenting that that's super cool. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yes. So he is like making these little tiny parts and he figures out what the problem is, solves it, makes the, makes the part on his computer and then produces it on the CNC router. I was like, I was working at Target when I was <laughs> like, yeah. what are you, you're way cooler than I am. And so I think because they're getting, and he is like a 4.0 student and knows that he's going to go on um, what he's going to do after and is getting a really good experience in high school. And so I think there isn't always this perception you have to automatically go the four-year route because they're exposed to, and he's telling me the how this machine is worth $2 million and that this is so cool. And so I don't think that all of the kids are necessarily think that they have to go to a four-year school. They realize that there's a lot of different routes that they could take. One of my favorite YA stories this year is a student who is was in two-year YA in the egg pathway, she owned her own business. And so she did egg for two years. And during her college or during her high school, she took welding classes. So she is now, she's our one of the 4.0s, graduated from Merrill High. She's going to work at our local agra welding and going to tech for welding. Um, you know, possibly being a welding teacher someday, maybe not, you know, 
it's just, yeah, it's, I have a lot of those stories where, you know, those smart kids, you just got to go after what your passion is, what you love. And a lot of my, a lot of the YA kids too, I, you know, I'll find them a job and they'll be like, what if I don't like this? What happens then? And I'm like, that's what YA is about. You You find out that. Yes. You find out in high school and maybe a four-year college is what you want to do and you don't want to go into manufacturing or egg or whatever. So yeah, there's, it goes both ways. Yep. You, you give them that real life exposure to what it's going to be like in that certain career field. And I think there's so much impact, not only for, for people going to trade schools or going straight into a career, but uh, for those that are going to college for something, I, you know, I, I look back how many friends I have that are pharmacists now that hate being pharmacists, but you're 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 so far into it financially at that point that you really don't have an option but to stay as a pharmacist, right? And so and I use that as an example, but there's a lot of other examples as well where somebody goes to a four-year school based on a perception of something, gets into it, and then are like, oh no, I, I don't like this, but you know what? I've spent eight years becoming a lawyer and all this, this debt that I've accumulated, like I don't have a choice, but to stay being a lawyer. And it's heartbreaking at times because that's their life. That's what they, they're going to have to do for the rest of the, the, their career. And I think regardless of what discipline you're going into or what industry you're going into, getting exposure to it at an early age is really important. And then for those high school students, being honest with yourself, do I actually like this work? Do I actually like doing this stuff? And and knowing that there are other options out there. I know growing up in a small town, I just always thought I was going to work for my dad and work on cars. And, and if I was, if I look back and I'm like, hey, you know what? Did I really like doing that? I probably didn't. And if I would have been uh, okay with that and been more honest with myself, it probably would have put me down a different path. But, you know, I'm forever grateful for my time in a shop. It's just that it, being able to be open and honest and as a high school person, not putting the pressure on yourself to have to make that career choice, but get yourself exposure to a bunch of different things, I think is really key to, to your happiness growing up, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. That reminds me so much of, we have quite a few students who are placed in the CNA and they're under your program too, right, Linda? Yes. Yep. Um, under the health program. But when kids come in and talk to me about, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a physician's assistant or something. I think just like, what does it actually mean to be a teacher? You don't know until you're actually a teacher, right? Or working in education. That's similar for being a nurse or working in the medical field, hands-on with people. And so the first thing that I always tell them is get your CNA license because that is the most important, in my opinion, first step is to work with patients on a really hands-on way to see, is this really what I like to do? And I said, that will get, tell them that, that will give you a really good taste if that's because it's a hard job being a CNA is a really position to be in, but it's also for, for high school students to be able to get your CNA license. What a good thing when you're applying. A lot of PA programs are now requiring that you have your CNA license before, but you can also make pretty good money as a high school student being a CNA because it's there. They can't find them. There's such a demand for CNAs. And if that's what their path is, that they really want to go into medical and working hands-on with someone, that is a really good way to experience. Is this what I actually want to do? Because you, sometimes we have like this belief of, oh, this is what I see. Because when I go in to see a nurse, they check my ears and use a stethoscope and that's, and it's so much more than that. (laughs) 
And that's be having like, for example, a CNA license is just another way to really get that experience and see, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. My sister is an RN and she went through that route and I think it was more intro to bedpans at that point. Yes. And, and some of the stuff that isn't as glorified, right. Mm-hmm. But it is a real part of the job. And we see that with, with, with technicians too, right. Is that there are things that you're going to have to do to kind of earn your way up And you are probably going to have to sweep some floors. You are going to have to do some things that aren't what you see as glorified in, in our industry, but that's also the stuff that kind of creates a base level for you to be able to know about how a shop runs and, and how it works. So I I just think what what the two of you are doing up there and the exposure that you've brought to the trades. And honestly, I think all our industry asks of, of education is to give us a fair shot, right? And I think what you guys are doing there is doing just that. And I think you know, from, from my eyes, uh, applauding the two of you for everything that you're doing and, and really doing just that, giving the trades a fair shot and not only just the trades, but giving the kids an opportunity to, to understand what it is that they could be good at, because I think that's, that's what's going to set them up for success down the road. Mm-hmm. When you wake up and you are happy to go to your job, that's the most important. It's not about like the paycheck necessarily, but do you enjoy your job and, you know, trying to encourage kids to find something that really makes them feel fulfilled and like they're, you know, they wake up in the morning and they're happy to go to work. I agree. I, that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So we're about up on our hour and I have learned a lot. I I've got, as I normally do in a podcast, some great notes here that I took and it, it is, I think you were able to open my eyes to a lot of different things, which is what this podcast is all about. I hope it does the same for our audience as well. I know a lot of it is specific to us in Wisconsin, but I think there's a lot of things, a lot of key points that anybody across the country can take from this conversation and and be able to grow their relationships with schools, understand their schools a little bit more. I think even asking a question like I did about you know, the funding thing is it's good to get clarity on that stuff because we can't just go in with general assumptions. We have to ask questions. We have to have an understanding of where the school gets benefit and where they're graded and judged on as well. So I, I thank the two of you for, for bringing your insights to the podcast. I know it's probably not the traditional type of podcast that you would think you would be on, but I, I do appreciate it. You don't you get asked for a lot of podcasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> that might change after this. That's a, there was a lot oh, of really, really good stuff. Famous. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, ladies. I, I genuinely appreciate you taking time out of your busy days to do this and hope hope that uh, we continue to grow the programs in your area and, and just continue to see success in Merrill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.